Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. I am Craig, your host. And over there, we've got, uh, well, we've got Ryan and Kyle. Kyle is playing the uh, the White Fresh Prince today with his pink hat. And Ryan is playing Poirot. Uh, yes, of course. Hopefully, it, people who are watching uh, this on YouTube. Oh, man. So this is one of those times when I... <laughs> <laughs> I can I can do this whole I, episode. No, if you no, want. you you literally cannot because I will shut off your mic. <laughs> um, I'll shut off your mic and then my mic, mic and then I'll murder you. Uh, so there's no evidence. And then I would solve how it was done. <laughs> but, so this is one of those times when if you're an audio only listener, that's great. Um, it, we we value your presence. Obviously, this is a podcast first and foremost. But I do highly encourage you to get on YouTube and look at Ryan's mustache because he is in fact playing Poirot in a play. Uh, and so he has the whole twirly mustache and everything. It's disgusting. It and takes time to train it. You got to get the hair to do what it's supposed oh, to do. It's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, there you go. Okay. Ryan, <laughs> stare at the camera. Can you, can you twiddle it for us? Give us a little yes. twirl. Okay. Yeah. That was Excellent. for the, that was for the YouTube people. Sorry. Sorry. Podcast people. Uh, today we are talking about the black cauldron. This is the second book in the Perdane Chronicles. Uh, this is the first award-winning book in the Perdane Chronicles, and we're going to talk about why that is uh, in just a moment. But first, I'll just remind everybody, go to thelegendarium.com for full show notes. And, well, no, we don't really put full show notes there. I should, should say for full archives of the show. You can find things by author. You can find the archive. You can find the uh, Discord link. You can find the Patreon link. All the stuff is there at thelegendarium.com, uh, and we would appreciate you stopping by. So... The Black Cauldron. I was going to insult you guys with like Black Cauldron insults. Um, like I think Ryan, yours was probably going to be I threw him in the Black Cauldron, um, uh, but then it didn't break. Paul Hollywood just came out and said, "Nah, it's a bad bake." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't come up with one for Kyle. So it's okay. Your jokes have killed my soul enough that it's all, I'm already a cauldron it's, born. It's numb. It's numb and dead. And yeah. So the Black Cauldron. Um, like I said, book two, this one, as I was saying to the guys earlier before we started recording, I found it shocking just how much better it is than the first book. And I love the first book. I think it's charming and sweet and wonderful, but this one really, really kicks it up a notch in the quality department as far as the storytelling. And we're going to get to why. So a recap, an unprepared recap is in order. Taryn Finds himself on another adventure. This time he goes off with uh, Ilanwi, Gurgi, Gwydion. Uh, all the, the usual suspects are on this journey, uh, but we add a couple into the mix. We've got Adeon, the, uh, the, he's basically like Dalben and Gwydion, you know, put together. Yeah. Right. He's the, he's the warrior bard, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, very wise, right? And then the hot headed, what's his name? Illyrian? Eladir. 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 Yeah, there you go. I'm thinking, gosh, I'm back in Middle Earth yeah. uh, or whatever. Um, what Eladir? Yeah. Eladir. Eladir. Uh, he's the hothead. He's the, the youngest son in a royal family, and he's been relegated to second place his whole life, and he is sick and tired of it, and he's not going to let some assistant pig keeper take all of his glory. So these are the, the folks that they head out on the adventure with. By the way, spoilers abound. Okay, yes, we're going to spoil the story. Um, they are heading out to destroy the Black Cauldron. This is Aran Deathlord's uh, magical cauldron that he uses to create the Cauldron Born, the deathless warriors that cannot be killed. Um, and so, you know, they can't let this stay in his hands, and so they the mission is to destroy it. And the mission does not go well. In fact, the Black Cauldron isn't even there anymore when they break into Aran's stronghold, and so Terran finds himself on a quest to find the Black Cauldron. He's uh, He picks up a few breadcum- breadcrumbs on the trail, uh, and it takes him to the Marshes of Morva with his companions. On the way there, um, Adeon is killed, and uh, Taran inherits his magical brooch uh, and his horse, etc. Eladir rides off uh, trying to gain glory on his own. But they, uh, the regular companions end up in the marshes of Morva where they meet Ordu, Orwen, and Orgok. And they're the three witches that live in the marsh. <laughs> and uh, they're in possession of the Black Cauldron. The companions get it back. Um, uh, at great cost and are trying to cart it all the way to Kartal Ben, which is not working out very well. It is stolen by Eladir and uh, eventually uh, he repents of his wrongdoing, gives his life to destroy the cauldron and the day is saved. So 
How's that? That's good. About right? That's good. Good. Well done. So, um... We're we're gonna get to uh, to some Discord comments in just a moment, but I should say last week I got a, a funny comment uh, yesterday from somebody on Discord who said, "You shouldn't have started with the Discord comments." I I want to hear what you guys have to say about the story, and I was like, "Well, but the questions were so perfect, mm-hmm. they just let us right through what we already had to say on the subject anyway." But today <laughs> we'll start with our own thoughts, and then we'll go kick it to Discord. So I've been monologuing for long enough now. Um, Kyle, I already said I thought that there's a huge jump in uh, quality here. What do you think? This one versus book one. How did it go? Yeah, I mean, I think I think quality and pace was a lot better in this one. There's a lot packed into this book. There's a lot of little quests and character building and, and uh, depth to this book. I think that the last one, I think it was there, but it wasn't nearly at this level. So, uh I really, I mean, we talked about this last time, but digging into Elanwi's character a little bit more, you get a little bit more of her personality and, and digging digging into that. Um, I really enjoyed the back and forth between Eladir and Taryn. I think that that was a very important character growth interaction throughout the book for Taryn to learn. Um, and Eladir by the end, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think... I don't know if this is one of those cases where it's like, this is book two, so he's been published and he's taking more time on it, or his editor is jumping in and helping out more. I'm not familiar with the right. background of the publishing and how, how that all went, um, but it was a, su- a surprising and welcome uptick in quality, drama, and uh, character depth, I think. Yeah, uh, Ryan, agree, disagree, other thoughts? Uh, I agree. I, part of it, though, I think is I feel like some of it is that the actions that Taryn is taking is intentional in this one versus in the prior book. It's yeah. a little more just reactionary to I've got to go find Henwin. I've got to figure out, you know, and the world's kind of happening around right. him. Right. So now we're getting to get have a little bit more. We feel like there's a little more depth because there's more decisions being made versus uh, just reactions. Thing, things happening. <laughs> yeah, that and makes so, sense. It, that's part of the reason why I feel like it paces better. It's a little more in, uh, engaging, and you can you can feel a little bit more connected to Terran and some of the other uh, people as they go through. And they have grown. You, you don't lose mm-hmm. what what they picked up in book one. There's no reset button on these characters. They have all whatever what they learned in book of three. They're still showcasing in this one. So it's it's a good it's a good feeling to see the characters continue to grow. Yeah, I I like that, um, especially with Terran who. Uh, he's, as you say, he's reactionary in book one, largely, and he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. But he has, <clears throat> sorry, I'm kind of coughing a little bit here. He has his moments, um, but for the most part, it's like he accidentally succeeds in book yeah. one, right? Um, and in this one, he it's not like he magically became ultra competent uh, over, you know, from book one to book two. But he did get a little bit more competent. Mm-hmm. And certainly a little more confident. Um, and so I like that it's a small progression where I think that's, is that what you're saying? Like these are yeah. still recognizable characters that we met. It's not like they're completely different. They just, they got one rung up on the ladder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you look at it specifically in regards to Terran, but all of them do it to a certain extent, uh, you watch them make decisions and realize that they have to approach it differently than they would have before. Um, Taryn often will say what kind of he gets to the point where he's like this is what Gwydion would do this is what and he's kind of thinking through that and now that he's been through an adventure with Gwydion he knows that he's able to be more accurate in assessing that versus just being an adventure hungry person this time it's less about I want to go on adventure and I want to be a hero and it's more about my honor I'm more you know I know I know what it's like to be on an adventure it's not all it's cracked up to be but I still want the glory and the honor and now he's learning what that the cost of of having that is um and that's just that's the progression, the natural progression that he uh, that he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love his, as you say, his interactions with Eladir, and especially when you have Edeon in the mix still mm-hmm. at the beginning of the book, where he's kind of playing referee between these two. Yeah, um, and they're both both uh, Taryn and Eladir are scoring points off of each other, uh, where Taryn is like, "Your your pride will ruin us all." You're you're just seeking after your glory and honor, like you say. And then Eladir is like, yeah, you're making fun of me for it, but that's all you care about. Hello, pot. Yeah, exactly. Kettle. <laughs> and Cauldron. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nicely done. Or Crocken. Crocken. Um, 
uh, so they're both scoring points off each other. And then at uh, Adeon comes in and says, uh, "Hey, by the way, you're both being idiots. Please sit down and shut up." <laughs> you know, and like in a much more wisdomous way than, mm-hmm. than that. But uh, I think he's a Adeon is a great character. Um, in that, it, essentially, we come to learn that much of his wisdom probably comes from his brooch. Okay, so let's explain the brooch. Okay, so he he will die about a third of the way through the story and gift Taryn his brooch. So Taryn puts it on and it essentially gives Taryn these dreams. Uh, he is now um, dreaming the kind of things that Edeon was dreaming, images and understandings about other people. And even when he's awake, it helps him see the world a little bit differently. The you know, he can sense smells and colors and uh, understand weather patterns more. It just basically makes him a little more superhuman, right? Yep. Um, and I enjoyed both Adeon and the brooch kind of there. We take them together. Um, in one case, it's Taryn having somebody else teach him these things. And then in another case, it's him taking it on himself and learning it for himself. Um, because it really struck me as like that is what it means to get older. If you do it right, um, and if you have somebody to guide you, then you can, you can, you can get older and become more jaded and cynical and whatnot. Or you can find more joy and wonder in the world and deeper understanding of what other people are going through. Uh, you know, more sympathy for those around you. Um, it, these things that the brooch and that Adeon himself teaches Taryn felt very, very familiar. Um, to just to generally growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I uh, do you guys have anything else to say on the brooch or on a down? Not necessarily. I did want to go back really quick to the to the jump in quality. I don't know if either did you, <laughs> okay. e- either of you read the author's note at the very beginning? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he basically said that uh, that was kind of his intention is to not only answer what's next in the story, but also to kind of elevate it. And I think he said. Uh, they're intended to hopefully do somewhat more than continue the Chronicles of Pradane. What happens next is always an urgent question. Um, and this volume attempts to answer that. And then he says, uh, you know, like basically he's going to flesh out the story a little bit more. But if a darker thread runs through, um, it's because the happenings here are more serious. And then I, what I really liked that he called out here is the choices and decisions that face a frequently baffled assistant pig keeper are no easier than the ones we ourselves must make. Even in a fantasy realm, growing up is accomplished with not without cost. And so I think he, he was saying, like, I want to continue the story, but this story also stands alone, and this story is kind of the next stage of life mm. and trying to reflect real life and real life choices and challenges. So yeah, that's a, an interesting thing to think about from the perspective of this being written as a children's fantasy. Uh, most fantasy that we read, most things, it's already at a specific level. It says, you know, it's young adult, it's adult, whatever. It's a full novel. Um, but to write something that can scale up with your audience as they read, you know, force them to ask a little bit more versus it all being the exact same. That's that that takes some guts to do as an author, rather than just say, I'm always going to write, you know, I'm sure they're great, you know, Dave Pilkey, but the, you know, Captain Underpants stories are, you're, you're never pushing <laughs> yeah. your audience to go to the next level with something like that, whereas here, I'm going to take them a little darker, a little deeper, make them work a little more, and see if that helps them improve as readers. Yeah. Well, gosh, yeah, absolutely. And this book is darker, which is an interesting thing to say, because we commented that with on book one, where there were some things in this, you know, burning people alive, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, chopping off heads. And like, there's some dark stuff that happens in book one. And in this one, I don't know that you get quite as much of that overt, like it, dark stuff. But still, I think I, we've already talked about Terran versus uh, Eladir. Uh, am I getting the name right? <laughs> yeah. uh, Taryn versus Eladir, where that hits so close to actual growing up experience mm-hmm. and, and what it means, where that actually, in a way, emotionally, spiritually, is dark on a level that we never got anywhere close to in book one, where it's like, what kind of person are you going to be? Yeah. Um, 
which is seeking after glory and honor um it might not be such a bad thing like if you're are you doing it for the right reasons are you going about it in the right way are you seeking glory and honor for its own sake or do you understand that like certain actions will bring you glory and honor and so the, that's what you pursue you know mm-hmm. like there are different questions around this that you can ask yourself and so it, it feels weird i guess for me to say that's dark but sure. does that make any sense i feel like it is yeah, yeah. and i think and i think even beyond just dark there's also real stakes. So Adeon dies. Eladir has to sacrifice himself in the end. And for a children's story, like a lot of the times you don't see that finality. I think we were even joking about the, the adaption. And Ryan, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're more the resident expert on the, the cartoon Disney adaption of this, which is not really representative. Narrator, he meant adaptation. Adaptation. Yes, that's what I meant. Hey, you said wisdomous earlier, and I didn't call it out. So. Wisdomous. That's, yeah. that, that was um, on purpose, though. So. But the idea that like they'll change characters, and then I think in the in the movie version, Gurgi dies, and he comes back to life inexplicably. There is no stakes. But in this, it might feel darker, but maybe darker isn't exactly the right uh, the right way to explain it. It's heavier. It's more final there's heavier stakes for yeah. a children or a child reader or an adolescent reader to understand people people die in real life your there's choices there, matter there are two different aspects of the way that it's approached in this book in terms of the darkness uh, that is do you believe in a thing called love <laughs> just listen to the rhythm of your heart <laughs> sorry okay <laughs> two different aspects go on uh in the first book you have your good guys and your bad guys okay clear cut and dry black and white Good guys, bad guys. In this one, uh, and you saw dark actions. In this one, we address dark intention and dark darkness within people. Uh, so it brings it in, uh, more interior the first first time. And it you put the people who are uh, the the good guys have that. So that's one of the new elements that why this one might feel that might have that darker feel to it is simply because we've now introduced the idea of the evil in men's hearts. Yeah, in this, where in the first one. Did not exist. It was the Horn King, the bad right. guys, and the good guys. Totally separate. Um, it's it's just nuance. It's nuance. Yeah. What you're yeah okay. So what you're getting at is uh, Taryn may be the hero, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have his own demons to deal with. Um, and certainly that can be said for Eladir, where it's like he look he's here to do the right thing. He is here on this quest to retrieve the Black Cauldron. He's doing the right thing. Yeah. But he's doing it poorly. The same yeah, thing with okay. uh, King Morga- Morgant um, at the end where he's like, no, I'm going to make my own cauldron-born army and I'm going to, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And he's one of the 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 great kings who have defended Perdane. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to to turn him evil, it's very clearly made out at the beginning that he's a little bit colder. And, right. Like, we, it's fairly telegraphed. We're signaled. Yeah, we're telegraphed that it's probably going to happen. But for a kid, yeah. So even the good guys can go bad. Yeah. Um, which I think that's, yeah, it's a big step. Yeah. Okay. Well, further thoughts as we move through uh, the, the story. Anything else that you guys uh, have in your notes? So I've got some of my own. No? Okay. It's my <laughs> turn then. Let's talk, about the, uh, let's talk about the language in the book, um, the writing style. So, in fact, I'm going to pull up a specific page just because it's where I wrote it down. Um, so, in my little paper bag, it's uh, page 148. Uh, chapter 17. Anyway, it, and it, it struck me finally as I'm <laughs> closing in on the end of the book. Um, Eladir says, what is the honor of a pig boy compared to the honor of a prince? Um, I have paid for my honor, answered Taryn, more dearly than you would pay for yours. Do you ask me now to cast it away? Um, you, pig boy, dared reproach me for seeking glory, yet you cling to, yourse- you cling to it yourself with your dirty hands. I shall not tarry here. My terms or nothing. Make your choice. Okay, my point in reading this is just to pull out things like, um, I shall not tarry here. You know, uh, phrases like that, sentences like that, where, it, look, this was written in the 60s. This is not <laughs> This is not a guy who lived 300 years ago or whatever. He's deliberately using slightly archaic words, especially in the dialogue, right? He doesn't really do it in the narration, but he does do it with the dialogue. Um, and I really liked that. I could see how it would rub some people the wrong way uh, if they really prefer that everything have a modern feel. 
Um, but for me, it gives the characters a bit of timelessness and it gives a kid reading it a little bit of practice with language like this, where it's just, we, I think we talked about this on the last episode where, you know, he trots right up to whatever line and then stays on this or that side of it, where he trots right up to the line of, uh, boy, these people talk really archaically. He gets right up to that line and just stays barely on this side of it. Uh, where a nine-year-old or an eleven-year-old or who you know whoever's reading this can go, oh no, I I I ask I, I understand what's happening here, uh, and now I just need to learn a couple of new words. Oh, what do you, oh shall is the same as will? Uh, yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah, sure. And yeah. he does it in a way uh, where you can you can understand that via context clues, so they don't have to like pull out a dictionary and understand what that word means each time. Yeah. So I think it's really, really well done. I think a modern author that does that really well is Brandon Mull, if you've read oh, anything yeah, that Fable he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fable Haven and a few other series. But he he pushes the limits of vocabulary for kids um, in the same way. But I, I, I like the idea that there's exposure to, uh, like you said, maybe more archaic language or just, just broadening a reader's understanding of how people speak it's, and communicate. It's also a really good piece for the character itself. Uh, we meet a lot of different of the nationalities of Perdane in this one as they all mm-hmm. come together to their own little mini council of Dalben. And uh, you hear the way they speak. You hear the way that um, uh, Smoit speaks. And he's, it's, he's this, this big, big gregarious guy. Yeah, you hear it. And you, uh, you almost hear the Scottish accent coming through <laughs> and that sort of thing. Uh, but then you kind of look at Eladir and you get to know his story of being the youngest of... Uh, in this kingdom everything, and his sense of trying to overcompensate and accomplish something for honor or whatever and the idea that I must speak high minded I must speak this way right so that people will take me seriously uh, I, am, I am a noble and I have to speak with nobility yes I have to do that so it on top of being of being a really good uh, way to introduce kids to a little more archaic language it does feed a character purpose, which is why I think it works so well. That's interesting you bring that up because uh, contrast that with Ilanwi, who is a princess, mm-hmm. um, but she seems to be, we don't know at this point much about her background. Okay, daughter of Angarad, whatever that means. We don't have any context. We, we just know that she is a real-life princess. Um, but compared to Eladir, she is very secure in that. Mm-hmm. And so she never does what you're talking about. Her language is extremely, almost excruciatingly straightforward and modern. Mm-hmm. You know, you idiot assistant pig keeper, stop being a blockhead and, you know, whatever. Yep. Um, whereas Taryn and Eladir are both insecure in their station. And so they, they feel like they have to adopt a little higher uh, register mm-hmm. for their speech. Okay, so that's interesting. That's one way to look at it. Um, the other way or another way <laughs> that you could look at it is just um, we, we've kind of been talking about it like oh Taryn you know just be more okay with your station in life and and stop striving so hard you, you try hard <laughs> um, but on the other hand it's like no why why not strive a little bit why not reach a little bit and try to uh better yourself in whatever way you see that mm-hmm. uh, regional right. pig keeper <laughs> <laughs> assistant to the regional pig keeper yeah. <laughs> um, but does that make sense like so you could make fun of him for that or you could say oh you know maybe it's not so bad to reach a little bit yeah I think that specific point is addressed anytime he speaks with Gwydion because you know uh, based on his responses to him when things happen especially early as they're heading out on the quest Gwydion has expectations of him and has a, a his own idea of who Terran is and could be. And so like, I think it's one of the early moments, uh, Eladir and he kind of get into this jockeying race on their horses, to, uh, who should be in front, and it mm. ends up knocking him off the path and causing a bunch of noise. And uh, uh, Eladir basically comes back and says, I, I would send you both back if I could. I can't. Or you mean Gwydion. Or Gwydion comes yeah. back and says, I'd send you both back if I can. I expected better of you, Terran, like this. And Eladir, or, you know, there's a couple different times where that happens in their, their uh, frustrations. And so anytime that Terran is looking to grow, I feel like that we get Gwydion trying to help him do it in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, uh, I mean, this is really the, the journey for him. Is, uh, and I feel that one of the big points in the book uh, is that 
becoming a man for Taryn, coming of age here, becoming a man, that there is there is so much to it and so much uh, that you should not try and rush this and understand the nuance of what you're getting into. Um, I think it's right there. Actually, it's like the third from last page or something. Uh, let's see. This is the best. This is the best part of all radio and podcast when shows. When we go looking for something, yeah, exactly. Hold. We need some sort of like legendary <laughs> hold music. <laughs> oh, we do. We I got the elevator music I use every once in a while. Yeah. I'm not taking notes here though, so I'm not well, going to remember where I go insert. So you can just like pantomime something for the <laughs> for the audience. There's the reason like. that they invented that 15 seconds and 30 seconds. I feel like it button. should be a re- requirement as Ryan's looking through that he sits there and twiddles his <laughs> twirls mustache. his mustache. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, hmm, yes, I can find this. Hmm. Such a villain. Did you find yes. it? Yes. Uh, no, I know it's. I had it just a minute ago. I don't even remember what we were talking about. Do you, Kyle? No. Yeah, I'm out. It's a nice hat, man. Hey, thanks. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. No problem. Fine, I will bring it. We'll move on and I'll. You keep going. Okay. I wanted to bring up a topic. All right, go Uh, for it. Magical objects. Mm. Because there are a few in this book. You've got the cauldron, the brooch. You've got the cauldron, the brooch. um, And I think the the witches talk about like they've got a few different things. But uh, I thought it was interesting that I I liked your call out earlier about uh, the the brooch itself is what allows the wearer to kind of have this dream power mm. or whatever. Um, but there was a call out earlier earlier in the book where I think Taryn gets a sword and he says, what powers does it have? <laughs> right. And he's like expecting the sword itself to have powers. Because it's right? Dalbin's sword. It's a sword. And I really liked the, was it Adeon a- a- or? Uh, Adeon. Adeon, whoever said it to him. Like, this sword is just a hunk of metal and it's actually an ugly hunk of metal at that. <laughs> the only power that this sword has is what comes from the wielder. Right. I think and it was Dalben that said that. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I marked that down in my notes as I really liked that call out because I think especially in fantasy and, and as we get accustomed and, and no fantasy tropes, there's always, there's always a magical object. It's, but the, the call out that it's not about the magic in the thing. It's about the power in the person. So, absolutely. And this, um, we talk about this every so often with a lot of magical objects, and it generally makes for a really good story. So, the One Ring is a great example of this. The Sword of Shannara is a great example of this, where when you have a, a magical item, it, it it's, in the best cases, it usually turns out to be a psychic amplifier of some kind. So, whatever is latent within you, this object brings out. So the sword of the Shinara, sword of Shinara makes you uh, address the truth inside of yourself. Uh, the One Ring, obviously, it's you know brings out um, these malignant, evil tendencies mm-hmm. within you. Whatever, um, <clears throat> and these are the the same way where it's like uh, okay, the cauldron, not so much. That's a pretty straightforward magic object. But the brooch, if you were to give a Down's brooch to Eladir, how would it affect him? Um, what what would it amplify within him? So within Terran, we see the, the the stuff that you can guess at or sometimes see explicitly in his character throughout these two books being brought to the fore by the brooch. Um, you know, being more understanding, more sympathetic, um, and more observant, where these things were there, but the brooch brings them out. Um, so yeah, I think it fits really nicely within that pantheon of magical objects. So, all right, Ryan, did you find it? I did, and it actually ties into what we're talking about here. It's going to bring it together. Oh, oh man. man, look at that magic. It's 177 here. Um, Ryan, you're my magical object. Uh, please don't say things like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Taryn is speaking to Gwydion here at the end, and he says, uh, It is strange, he said at last. I had longed to enter the world of men. Now I see it filled with sorrow, with cruelty and treachery, and with those who would destroy all around them. Yet enter it you must. Gwydion answered, for it is a destiny laid on each of us. True, you have seen these things, but there are, but they, but there are equal parts of love and joy. Think of Adon and believe this. Think too of your companions. Out of friendship for you, they would have given up all they valued, indeed all they possessed. Terran nodded. I see now the price I paid was the least of all, for the brooch, the, the brooch was never really mine. I wore it, but it was not part of me. I am thankful I kept it as long as I did. At least I knew for a little while how a bard must feel and what it must be like to be a hero. That is why your sacrifice was all the more difficult, Gwydion said. You chose to be a hero not through enchantment, but through your own manhood. And since you have chosen, for good or ill, you must take the risks of a man. You may win or you may lose. Time will decide. 
Hmm. And and then you shut up. Is that yeah, okay? Are we supposed to talk now? <laughs> well, I was saying that connect, <laughs> that portion it kind of connected with the original point we were making about coming in, being a man, and, and making that choice. And then the enchantment, where even Gwydion says at the very end, "You chose uh, to be a hero through who you were, not because you had anything magical or anything like right. that." Yeah. It, it wraps the whole piece together. So absolutely, no, I'm with you on that. Okay, cool. So, um, oh, can we go? I know we're jumping around here a little bit. We're not like following the story. Now you wish we went to the Discord questions, didn't you? <laughs> <Don't> you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, no, can we talk about the marshes, marshes of Morva? Yes. Yeah. And the three fates. <laughs> so we have Ordu, Orwen, and Orgok. Um, what'd you guys think of that passage? Uh, and while you're while you're thinking about your answer, I will just say. Um, it had been years and years and years since I'd read this book or any of these books. Um, and when somebody says, have you ever read The Black Cauldron? That's the only thing that pops into my mind. All that I can remember is the Marshes of Morva scene or scenes mm-hmm. with the three witches or enchantresses or whatever they're called, right? Um, and so I, I, for now, I'm just going to leave it at that. It's a very memorable, uh, visually interesting um, rhetorically interesting scene to me. What do you guys think of it? I really like the Marshes of Morva, obviously. The the three witches, enchantresses, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they are another one of these elements that is a little more nuanced because they're against, you know, they're antagonists to our, our little crew here. So you're like, oh, they're bad guys. But they're not really. Right. They're, uh, they even say, uh, as they're trying to bargain with Terran over the crockpot of doom, they, <laughs> they're like, we are only concerned with things as they, uh, as they are. As they are, yeah. It's like, okay, so this is a really unique perspective, especially if you kind of use them as stand-ins for the, the Greek mythology, the fates who saw the future. These ones are a little bit different as they are only worried about the present, um, whereas the fates had past, present, and future all. Yeah. It's like, okay, all three of these, they're focused on just the one. Or are they? Because they're kind of tricksy little devils too. They are. I I, I think because of that, what you're talking about, uh, you know, they seem more like nature. Um, it, they're like a personification of, of impersonal forces. So, you know, whether that's uh, the natural order or time or what have you, um, they don't care what should be. They only care about what is. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're telling the story about how they went and got the, uh, the cauldron back. And they're like, well, it was, it was ours. We sold it or we lent it or whatever. <laughs> we rented it to our, our Death Lord, uh, And then he broke the terms of his contract. He broke the terms of the contract. So we took it back. And that's it. That, mm-hmm. you know, where there, there's not some question of like, well, yeah, he was making a lot of cauldron born. And you know, it, it, it was upsetting the balance. No, they don't care. Mm-hmm. He broke the contract. So we went and got it back. Um, and it's so it's I guess uh, in that way an interesting um, uh, episode where Taryn gets to face impersonal forces that are neither good nor evil they just are and in a similar way don't they call out that they they had Dalben had spent time with them right at some point yeah 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 and he grew up with them. he grew up with them and then they kicked him out because he was learning too much or he was too mm-hmm. curious or whatever he that drank was. a he drank a potion that made him uh, as as intelligent or as wisdomous as ryan likes to say as as, as they are and so they were like nope <laughs> um which is interesting given your point you just made around like they're just worried about the present or they're just the representation mm-hmm. of natural forces what would what would be the reasoning for not allowing Dalbin to be as wisdomous as the as the fates. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Is I there mean, a threat there? Is there is there something like this isn't how it should be, so we've got to get rid of him? Is there an underlying uh reason behind that other than I don't know. This is and not good for our presence, so this is, get out of here. This is a great example, I think, of where like, look, these are kids' books, sure. and it's not like a super tight mythology, and sure. so you know, think there are going to be little cracks uh, in things like that. But I, I guess, oh, sorry, Kyle, it looked like you were going to say something. I was, I was just going to say. I, I mean, we don't have to dig too far into it, but it's what came out for me in those in that scene with the with the three enchantresses was that bit of world building and background history around mm-hmm. Dalbin and 
this is where he grew up. This is how he got the book of three. This is which he uses in his own way or whatever to, to uh, be wise and make choices. And, and we're still trying to answer that question. What is the book of three? Well, <laughs> yeah. now we have the, at least the origin of it. Right. It could be the and, book of three and the three of them. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, I mean, it is a, a plot point, uh, but it's also, I think we've been talking already about this being a coming of coming of age story, you know, Taryn is growing up and what does that mean? And, this is, to my recollection, this the this is the first time he's ever come up on such an impersonal force as these enchantresses. Where, and that that is also part of growing up, where you have to reckon with this idea that the universe, sorry, doesn't care. It owes you nothing. Nature, yeah, exactly. Nature owes you nothing. Um, and, you know, so you could. You could become a billionaire like Lord Bezos, uh, or you could die in a car crash this afternoon. Like the universe doesn't care, time doesn't care, nature doesn't care. It just these things just are, um, and so I think that's a significant part of growing up. And that's what this passage. One of the things this passage does for me is uh, shows Taryn coming up against those things and having to reckon with that, at least in some small way. What struck me on this read through is how short this passage was mm-hmm. um, where that's, this is the entire book in my memory and it's like, nah, it's two or three chapters. And I think to, to build off of that point, the universe doesn't care, but if you care and you want to influence that based off of whatever your moral compass is, it requires sacrifice on your end because in order for them to actually get the cauldron, they, the, you know, the, the three fates or witches or whatever said that they had to give, them something of equivalent value and what does Terran end up doing he ends up giving them the brooch right mm-hmm. to trade for the cauldron which means if he wants to exert his influence and continue on with his quest because he thinks that that is what needs to be done and change or manipulate the universe to his will whatever that means it requires sacrifice on his part there you go um, alright should we move on to another point um uh okay oh first of all i'm sorry before we go on to the the last big thing i wanted to bring up uh brooch i was remarking on this uh yesterday as i was finishing up the book i was talking to my wife about it (laughs) and this is i'm sorry this is a dumb little point and feel free to skip ahead because it's it's nothing (laughs) but maybe this happens to other people too i read this book a ton when i was a kid or these books i suppose but yeah i read this book a ton when i was a kid nine years old or so give or take and when I was a kid, I read B-R-O-O-C-H. Brooch. Brooch. You already said it once, and mm-hmm. you know you corrected yourself, right? Brooch. Right? That that's certainly is what it looks like, and so that's what I read it as, as a kid. Um, and then as an adult, I learned, oh, okay, so the word is brooch. Okay, fine. It's brooch. All right, I guess we're going old English here. Don't even get me started on vittles. Or britches. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So anyway, we have these weird words, but even in my head... <laughs> Not, I, it's not like I'm reading this out loud or anything. In my head, as I'm reading this book, as a 35-year-old man, my head is going, brooch, brooch, brooch. It just reverts instantly to my nine-year-old self. And it was so frustrating. <laughs> That's how my mind works with a lot of names in fantasy books. Like what I originally read it as on the page for our Wheel of Time characters' yeah, names. Yeah. It's going to be that. You're it's like, never going to be... Brigida, it's going to be Bridget because that's how I read it as a 13 year old when I was reading it the first time. Right. You know, even though it does not make sense. I if know. You read it. Yeah. <laughs> I know this is wrong. Don't care. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the actual point I wanted to bring up, it comes very, very early in the book. Okay. So they're meeting there. What'd you call it? The uh, Council of Elrond? Council of Dalbin? Council of Dalbin, yeah. They're at the Council of Dalbin. Um, let's see. Adeon uh, is the, by the way, Adeon is the son of the, the world's greatest bard or like the head bard or something. I don't mm-hmm. know, whatever he's called. Um, and he's talking to Fluter who was gifted a harp by Adeon's father. And the harp that, you know, breaks every time he lies uh, or the strings break whenever Fluter lies. Um, and he says, so Adeon says, my father sends greetings and asks how you fare with the harp he gave you. Uh, I can see it wants a repair. He added with a friendly laugh. Yes, admitted Fluter. I do have trouble with it now and again. I can't help uh, adding a little color to the facts. Most facts need it so badly. But every time I do, this is the result. 
Be of good cheer, says said Adeon, laughing wholeheartedly. Your gallant tales are worth all the harp strings in Perdane. Okay. Hmm. I was curious what you guys think of this sentiment. What is the where, where's the balance? What's the value? How do we how do we balance truth versus what? Heroism? Uh, I, I don't know quite what to what to balance it against. What's the word we're looking for? Um, is the truth more important than a good story? <laughs> you know, um, it's and this is a so this this passage comes down very clearly and says no, it's it's worth a few embellishments to get a good story. I, I would say if you want to draw real life pieces on this, uh, he's a bard. Uh, that is part of who he is and what he is supposed to be and what he does. Uh, so, yeah, in his context, it makes sense. Uh, does that mean that everybody should embellish every story and the fish should be, you know, 28 <laughs> inches long? And like, No, but uh, if you're... If you're in the the business of storytelling, it it probably w- doesn't hurt to put a little added color in here and yeah. there. Yeah, and mm. I think it depends on what like what the moral of those stories are. What mm. is the what is the takeaway? So, is there something positive or something to inform or educate the audience? If it is, and you embellish that a little bit so that that point gets driven home a little bit more, it's exactly what we're reading right now, right? There's a lot of commentary on just human uh, nature right. and the way that people act and should act or not act and the embellishment, if that helps drive that point home, I think that's maybe what he's getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where I draw the line. I, because I do value truth very highly. Mm-hmm. In fact, this is one of the things that drives me the very most crazy about uh, Christopher Nolan's dark Knight trilogy um, by the, I guess if you haven't seen this decade and a half old trilogy, <laughs> then yeah, skip 60 seconds or whatever. But um, in the end, at the end of the second movie, The Dark Knight, uh, Harvey Dent turns evil, um, but then they cover it up, right? And they, they tell the public that he was such a great man and they embellish his story to keep the heroic narrative, to give people a hero, to give them something to strive toward, which I think is valuable. But it turns around and bites them in the ass in the third movie and society almost breaks down because of the lie that they told uh, because that opened the door for somebody to do something awful. You know, Bane is able to manipulate the public in part because he's able to expose the lie of Harvey Dent. Um, and then at the end of the third movie, they lie about Batman and his sacrifice uh, where you know they, they do the exact same thing. Which and it's presented as this like oh it's a wonderful happy ending he survived and he saved the day but they set him up as a story in the same way they did Harvey Dent anyway sorry that is a tangent where okay luckily we're famous for those but my point just being <laughs> I can see the value in having the heroic story something to strive toward you know uh, uh, something to set your sights on a north star of some kind but is it worth the truth is it worth sacrificing the truth I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, that's so not worth the harp strings. Is what it's you're not. Saying. Yeah, it's not worth all the harp strings in Perdane, Probably Craig's over here singing "Unbreak My Harp." <laughs> Unbreak my harp. That's I. I wasn't for you anybody were. wondering. I was not over here singing that. Your hair is long and luscious and flowing. It just all goes together. <laughs> that's our next investment: is a, a, a soft wind tunnel fan that can just blow <laughs> Craig's hair on the video for Nicholas us. Cage style, uh, dude. Yep. Con Air. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, we need these things. Um, okay, <laughs> support us on Patreon so we can buy Craig a hair fan. <laughs> uh, do you guys have anything um, else to bring up before we get to any complaints uh, with the book? Um, if you have any. Uh, just a quick, uh, very quick mention of Gwistel. Uh, oh yeah, the the non dwarf of the Fair Folk. Yeah, we get to realize the that there's a greater expanse of the Fair Folk than just the dwarven or the fairy. Like that's kind of the way that it feels the first time is that that's mm-hmm. just what they are. Now we have our uh, Ent stand-in, uh, for lack of a better term, um, who's very depressed. Wait, what? The, An Ent stand-in? Yeah. He's a tree, basically. Is he? I thought so. I thought he was just like a thin dude. 
I, but I don't know. I, I'd have to go back and read that. <laughs> well, we'll go back and go through. Yeah, that yeah. Ryan's gonna hunt through the book. Mustache again. music, please. Mustache <laughs> twiddling music. No, it's fine. It's fine. It. I'll take your word for it. Okay, fine. He's an end stand-in. Ryan, don't just just leave it. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. But yeah, I I visualize him as a tree beard esque type character. Okay, all right. But you know, on a lot smaller scale, like baby tree beard, like twig beard. Twig, yeah, there you go. Um, nice. Nice. Uh, but he's also, uh, it's been really interesting that the, the fair folk characters that we follow are the grumpy ones and the rest of them stay behind in the kingdom. Because <laughs> like, we get Dolly who's always frustrated and grumpy and... Idleg. Uh, uh, yeah. King Idleg uh, is his own thing. And then everyone else is happy fairyland, it seems like. And then Gwistle's like, nothing matters. This Life sucks. Don't worry about it. You guys have kids. The have nihilist. you ever, on uh, Netflix, have you ever seen a, tr- a show called True mm-hmm. and the Magic Kingdom? There's a there's a gloomy Gus character. His name is literally Gloomy Gus, and he talks like this. <laughs> and I hate joy. <laughs> and that's that's who I picture when I think of Gwistel. Is, uh, well, okay, but nothing matters. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I really I, I like Gloomy Gus for this guy. Anyway, sorry. What about Gwistel? Uh, he was looked that like a bundle of sticks with cobwebs floating at the top. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fine. Sure. <laughs> take that with take that's as far as I'm taking it. He's he's grumpy. He was an interesting character. Uh we visited the Fair Folk twice now and both times come out with a grumpy character. Yeah, okay. So mm-hmm. something to watch for in the future. Extreme depth of point. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, anything else? Um No. Okay. I think we're good. So I, I wanted to bring up uh, just one very, very minor complaint in this book. And it's something that I, I only bring this up uh as a point to anybody else out there who's writing a book. It's just one of those little things to watch out for. Okay, this book is called The Black Cauldron. When they go on their quest, they are looking for the Black Cauldron. They find the room where the Black Cauldron is supposed to be. The Black Cauldron is gone. The Black Cauldron has, you know, made its way toward the marshes of Morva. So we go to the marshes of Morva. Um, we find the Black Cauldron, which the witches start calling the, the Black Crockpot. Crocken. Okay, yeah. which I looked up. It's just the Welsh word for cauldron. That's it. It's not more complicated than that. But it, they, so they call it the croaken or croaken, whatever. Release the croaken. Release the croaken. Sure. Um, <laughs> Someone had to get it out at least once. <laughs> <laughs> that's what. No, no. Release okay. It. All right. Um, anyway, that's all fine. I don't have a problem with them saying, actually, its name is the black croaken. Okay, fine. But then as the story goes on, the, the words start to get used interchangeably, which is okay. Again, this is okay for the characters who, like Taryn and Ilanwi, who met with the sorcerers, sorceresses, whatever. Witches. We're going with witches. Sorcerai. <laughs> the orgs. The, the, yeah, there you go. Um, it's fine for them because they've got both words. But then when they meet up with everybody else, like Gwydion is calling it the Crocan. Um, what's his name? Eladir is calling it the Crokin. Um And I, I went back and looked it up and I was like, wait, is this right? Yeah, they are. But these people have never met the witches. They've never, presumably, never heard the real word. And we know this because at the beginning of the story, Gwydion's calling it the Black Cauldron. It's the Cauldron, Cauldron, Cauldron. And it's just one of those little things. It's a little slip up. I know this is horribly minor, but it did take me out a little bit. And I was like, come on, pay a little bit of attention to which characters know the words. I don't know. Crokenborn just doesn't have quite the same <laughs> ring to it as. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, so that's the end of our discussion, I guess. You guys, uh, you good? Any final thoughts? Uh, I l- let me ask you this for a final thought, Kyle. Are you uh, intrigued any more after book two than you were after book one uh, oh, yeah. to go on with the story? No, absolutely. Uh, like I said, I think there was a, a noted elevation in in depth, and it, I, th- I like that. I guess maybe my one thing we can add is I feel like the world building in this is really well done through the dialogue and there's not like it doesn't feel like there's a ton of super deliberate world building which Mm. is not probably the case because I think there's a lot of very deliberate things done here. It feels very natural and I love the idea that we've got a pretty a pretty fleshed out world so far. I mean it's not like to the minor details but a pretty fleshed out world. This book was 170 something pages long. It's so you short. You know, it's so short. And it's just really, really well done. We've talked about this in other podcasts of like which authors to look for for mm-hmm. a masterclass in world building. This is a very small scale world, but it's a very rich. It feels, full. feels lived in. Yeah. And it's done in very little, uh, 
very few words, I should say. Maybe we can talk about this more with, you know, with subsequent books. We've got three more discussions to go. We'll be looking for things to talk about, <laughs> so that's fine. Uh, but the economy on display in these books is really wondrous, mm-hmm. the, what he's able to pack into 180 pages. Uh, Ryan, you look like you have one final thought. Uh, completely tangential, has nothing to do with... Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. If it's a tangent, it doesn't belong here on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, and this will mainly be, a, I apologize to our audio listeners, but uh, I just want to point out to our YouTube viewers, hopefully this is up from there, the maps that are in the front of all these books. Mm-hmm. You can find them. Yeah. Uh, they're fun. They map the tra- the path that our characters take. That's something that usually isn't the case because you've got too many characters to try and map everything out there. Right. But one of my favorite things is uh, going back, you look at the first one, and then you look at this one. They've progressed in time, and so you see over here the ruins of Spiral Castle, and they've just taken the icon and kind of broken it up in the map. <laughs> nice. Just a little side thing, if you know, where when an author and a publisher decides to add little elements like that, they're worth usually looking at for a few minutes, mm-hmm. just to appreciate. It's like uh, when my grandpa used to take me to the movies, and he'd say, "No, you're going to sit down through these credits because these people worked hard on this movie." Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, yeah, sounds sounds like about the same thing. <laughs> no, I'm sure. just kidding. No, I, uh, I I think it's a very charming map, and I don't mind that it tells you where you're going to go, because. Who cares? You have no context if you've never read the book. So, yeah. um, All right. Thus concludes our discussion of Lloyd Alexander's The Black Cauldron. Uh, no, we're not discussing the movie because Ryan's the only one that's seen it, and I don't care, and I'll never see it. I just don't care. I, I love this book too much, and I'm not going to go watch the but movie. There's an incredible story about a ride in Tokyo Disney that is all based on The Black Cauldron that had the Horn King and terrified children for years before it was closed. Well, not even for years, but before it was closed down from being too terrifying. I think we just got that story. I mean, in so, hindsight, the the decision to kill the children and revive them with a black cauldron was maybe not the best ride experience. <laughs> I think that was about the time they made some uh, chairman changes. Yes, exactly. So. Okay. All right. So thanks for joining us, everybody. Again, go to thelegendarium.com. You can join the Discord discussion. You can go to Patreon from there. Uh, there is even a, if you prefer not to sign up for an ongoing Patreon thing, uh, there's a link to our PayPal. So if you're like, hey, that was worth 10 bucks then first of all, you're crazy. And second of all, there's a button for that. So yeah, you can find that all at thelegendarium.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with the third book, The Castle of Lear, uh, which is Princess Ilanwi's book. Uh, So uh, Kyle, I think you're going to enjoy that one um, if you liked getting a little bit more of her character in this. So we will see you then. Thanks for watching, listening, liking, subscribing, and we'll see you guys next time.